Hi friends, and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. Uh, This week we're going to continue a theme that we were looking at before we took our break for Lent. And uh, if you can cast your mind back to uh, eight or nine episodes ago, or just skip back and have another listen, we were focusing on asking one big main question um, throughout the podcast, and it was, what's really important? What is it that actually matters? In our lives where we live in this world of um, social media and advertisements and everything is kind of trying to grab your attention and grab your eye and, and get you to just focus your attention on them and their thing and everything's trying to sell you something. Uh, so much so that uh, you're promised the world on a stick. You're promised if only you wear these clothes or go on this holiday or drive this car or wear this aftershave or use this shampoo or brush your teeth with this toothpaste, then your life will be fulfilled. Then your life will be complete. Then your life will really count. It will really matter. But as we've been seeing through this series, the truth is if if everything does in fact matter, then nothing does. If everything's important, then nothing is. So this series we're asking what's the main thing what's the important thing what's the thing or who is the thing that we need to hold up front and center in front of our eyes always as our kind of guiding north in all situations and with that said i'm going to read a story um it's a well-known story from luke chapter 17 starting in verse 11 it happened as they made as he made his way toward Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. They went and while still on their way, became clean. One of them, when he realised that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, We're not ten healed. Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? Then he said to him, get up, on your way, your faith has healed and saved you. Now your life back then, if you were kind of labelled with this term leper, which could be any variety of skin diseases, but just all came under this this one blanket term of leper meant that that was it. You were ostracised. You were excluded from everything. You were pushed out of all normal society, all normal kind of everyday, um, Monday through Saturday uh, kind of living. You you were refused uh, entrance into the temples and synagogues. You couldn't worship. You couldn't offer sacrifices. You weren't allowed to be in close proximity with anybody, so you couldn't uh, buy or sell. You couldn't trade. In fact, you were kicked out of your family home. You 
couldn't have anything to do with your family, your friends, your loved ones, because your condition meant that they would be considered unclean as well. So for these 10 people that we see here, there's a reason that we're told in this story that um, they kept their distance but raised their voices. See, they knew the rules. They knew they had to stay away. Just as much as it was other people's jobs to stay away from them, they knew that they had to stay away from other people for fear of condemning them, for fear of making them unclean. Little did they know that the person they would come into contact with today would actually work this kind of juju in reverse and that Jesus's ultimate cleanliness wouldn't be tarred and wouldn't be tarnished by their uncleanliness but would in fact work in the opposite way and that his cleanliness would mean that they would be clean would mean that they would be healed would mean that they would be whole and in fact as he said at the end they would be saved so that's what goes on here but we're told here that one acts differently from the nine this one Samaritan who comes back in this story, we're told, wasn't just healed that day. That would be enough. The Jews have a phrase, dianu, which means it would have been enough. And if that was the case, if Jesus had healed that man um, officially, so a priest could kind of sign off and say, yep, you no longer have leprosy, you no longer have this skin disease, you can go back to your family and your friends and back into community and back into worship and doing all the things that you have missed for so long. If, if that was all that Jesus had done, if Jesus had only healed that man, Dianu, it would have been enough. But Jesus doesn't just say, you're healed. He says, you are well. Here in the version that I read here from the message, he says, your faith has healed and saved you. So this wasn't just talking about his physical outward condition. This was talking about his soul. He is healed and saved. Now, a lot of the time when we kind of, particularly in church settings, hear these sorts of stories, we think, oh yes, yes, I, I understand what this is saying. This is saying that we need to be like the one and less like the nine. And in fact, uh, we are encouraged to do that, and rightly so. It is important not just um, to be faithful, but also to be thankful, as we'll look at a bit more on Sunday coming. But our kind of our kind of weird way of seeing ourselves and seeing the world means that we associate ourselves with the one rather than the nine, which is crazy when you think about it out of those people that were that were healed that day 90% didn't come back and yet we believe that we're somehow part of the 10% we look at these two characters these two um cross sections of humanity and we say okay these nine are the bad guys and this one is the good guy even though he's the Samaritan and they presumably were Jewish which goes across all kinds of cultural spectrums of the day when Jesus is uh, kind of working his way through this this story um, but we for some reason go okay the nine are the bad guys the one is the good guy and I'm like the good guy and I need to find all the people who are acting like the bad guys and tell them, point it out in them and say, you ain't doing what you're supposed to be doing. But in fact, and as we'll see again on Sunday, if we act in that way, if we spend our lives looking around for the nines to tell them that they're not doing the right thing, we are in fact proving that we are the nine. 
So here's a question from the story. Why do you think the nine don't come back? Well, first off, we need to realise that the Gospel of Luke, and this is a this will blow your mind. Are you ready? The Gospel of Luke is written by Luke. Wow, amazing stuff. And Luke is talking to the nines through this story. He's saying to all of the Jewish people as they read this story or have this story read to them, he's saying to all the Jewish people, it's like you can't see the wood for the trees. It's like, it's because you've missed the point. You've missed the Messiah. But notice God isn't mad in this story. Jesus doesn't condemn them. But God's heartbroken. You can kind of hear it in Jesus' words. He's not angry. He's perhaps a bit disappointed. He's perhaps a bit sad at the fact that only one has come back. When he says, weren't the ten of you? Where are the other nine? You can hear that heartbreak. And Luke here, by telling this story, is saying that's how God feels about you. Every time you act like the nine, it's breaking God's heart. God isn't mad with you. God's just heartbroken. And I think that there are some things that we can take from this story that was meant as a kind of commentary for the first century Jewish audience. And I think that there are some applications for us today in the 21st century as modern Christians. Because the nine relate to us all really well, don't they? If we're honest, if we take a look at them in this story and then take a look at ourselves and how we act a lot of the time and maybe even how we react to other people a lot of the time, I can see how I am just like the nine. See, whether you grew up in church or whether you came to your faith and spirituality and even came to God later in life, for a lot of us, it tends to go a little bit something like this. I'm gonna do good and I'm gonna be good. I'm going to stay faithful and do what I'm told and mine and God's relationship will be good. We tend to assume that when it comes to our relationship with God, what's important to God is us doing everything the right way. And that's not wrong. That is important to God. It is important to be faithful for for doing right kind of morally and spiritually. Being the right kind of person is important. And all of that will help us to believe that we're the good guys, which can be to our detriment. As I said at the beginning, this is less about being faithful and more about being thankful. And I understand, I totally get it, I totally understand. Jesus had told them, and as as good Torah-following um Bible-believing Christians for us today, as we kind of relate to the nine, we understand that there are things that are expected of us, and there are rules, and there are things that we should do, and things that we shouldn't do. And so going and presenting themselves to the priest was what was expected. If they wanted to prove to um, the religious system, and prove to the wider world, and maybe even prove to themselves that they were cured, that they were clean, that they were healed of these skin diseases, then this would be the right way of going about it. And they were obeying Jesus as well. So regardless of perhaps how they felt about the law and the systems of the day, they were believing what Jesus was saying and they were doing what Jesus had told them to do. And that's why we kind of see them perhaps 
at the beginning of this story as good guys before it gets flipped on its head because they were doing what the law said. They were doing what God's law said to them to do and they were also doing what this rabbi had told them to do. They were doing all of the right things. And you can understand why perhaps they didn't come back because as they got closer and as they realised as they were going to present themselves that they were in fact healed, maybe they could even see that their skin had started to change and they started to feel better as they got closer and closer towards where the priest was. And that excitement would have kind of bubbled up within them and they perhaps were even running to get to the priest to show him so that they could get signed off as this clean bill of health so they could go and offer the sacrifices and be acceptable to God and acceptable to man, accepted back into their community so they could go and see their children, hug their wives, kiss their kids, maybe hold their grandkids for the first time ever. Of course they'd want to go there. Of course they'd want to get there as fast as they could. And yet, we're told in the story, and yet, in fact, the one who is commended is the one who doesn't do what the law says. The one who's commended is the one who doesn't go and do what Jesus told him to do, but in fact, on his way to doing it, turns and comes back to say thank you. One more thing. Do you know how you're part of the nine today? If you're reading this story and trying to recognise, okay, do I fall within that very narrow 10% or am I more like the 90%? Or perhaps a little bit more of a nuanced question, how in certain areas of my life Am I more like the 90%? One way to recognise that you're part of the nine is when you're sure that you're part of the one. Just like we see in that um, parable that Jesus tells about the Pharisee at the front of the church praising God in this loud, bold voice about how, how blessed he is and how happy he is that God has given him such a wonderful life and a wonderful wife and wonderful children and a fantastic job as this Pharisee and all these opulent clothes and all the food that he could want and God has blessed him beyond measure and he is so, so thankful and on top of all of that he's so much more thankful that he is not like the tax collector who has come in and kind of skulked at the back of the temple kind of kept his head down, not made eye contact with anyone, just barely murmured a prayer under his breath. And this Pharisee in this bold claim is so thankful that he is not like him. And we're told at the back of the temple, the tax collector keeps his eyes down, keeps his head bowed and simply says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just like with the 10 lepers in that story, it can be easy for us to go, oh yeah, the Pharisee, that's the bad guy. And the tax collector at the back, that's the good guy. That's who we need to be more like. I'm so thankful that when I look at my life and look at who I'm like, I can relate more to the tax collector. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have made me so humble and not like that obnoxious Pharisee at the front of the temple. But do you hear what's happened there? The second we start to act like that, thinking we're like the tax collector, who do we sound like? We sound just like the Pharisee. And in this story here, a certain sign to show that you are part of the nine is when you're sure and certain that you are part of the one. Back in the Ten Lepers story, being certain that you're one of the good guys is how the nine got to where they were in the story in the first place, thinking that they were part 
of the 10%. So friends, please take some time to examine your lives, to think about where you fit within all this. Do you relate with the one or do you relate with the nine? And what can you do to kind of change your mindset? What can you do to alter the way that you see and act and feel and react so that you can be coming from a place more like that one than the nine? How can you today foster, instead of just focusing all of your attention on being faithful, which is good, but how can you spend some time today fostering thankfulness in your lives? Grace and peace.